0: the gold standard of paranormal radio and now here's
1: gene steinberg so this week our special guest co-host once again is tim swartz our guest somebody not on the paracast previously is john e.l tenney and we'll talk more with him in a moment But first off, I wanted to mention a few things about our previous episode. And by the way, John, welcome to the PowerCast. And if you feel the need to chime in, you're welcome to do so, okay? I will. So last week we had Stan Gordon. Now, Stan, as regular listeners to the PowerCast know, is the kind of person you say, Hey, Stan, how are you? And he does 20 minutes. (laughs) True. I love Stan he's a great guest. Unfortunately, sometimes because he's got this spiel he does, he doesn't always hear the questions or the comments. So I made a point that our previous two guests, Erica Lukes and Chris Rudkowski, had expressed skepticism about Skinwalker Ranch. So he sort of absorbed that and then went on without mentioning it and still feeling or expressing the point that he believes Skinwalker Ranch is real, as are other possible portal areas. And I didn't want to pursue it, Tim, because I just felt, OK, that's like taking him to another channel. Right. Yeah. It would have taken him, taken him
2: off of his line of thought. Stan comes you know, pre-prepared for a show he knows what he's going to say so i mean you know if you ask him a question about the reality of something say like skinwalker rants then you know he's gonna have to go and you know go back into his notes and find uh, reasons why
3: or why not i was at a conference with stan a few years ago and we were riding the elevator down to the lobby and i asked him a question and i think we didn't get out of the elevator for about an hour
2: <laughs> that's him. That's him. Yep, yes, that is. Well, that's what makes him great for a show, though, because there's nothing I hate more than having a guest that you know you ask them a question and they reply in monosyllables.
3: Yeah, you won't find that happening with me. I have loved to talk. I get it from my mother. It's why I decided a long time ago that I, I write books and I write articles, but I really wanted to be a lecturer. I wanted to talk to people.
1: Looking at this. Book theoretical weirdo. The fact that you're living in the upside down. (laughs)
4: Yes. (laughs) For fans of
3: Stranger Things, they'll understand that. I had problems, actually. Amazon didn't want to have that be the cover because they thought it was confusing. They thought that people would think the cover was printed upside down when I was like, no, this is a design choice. And we actually went around for a couple months, even though it's self-published, like they have someone looking at the covers. And if you've looked at a lot of covers of self-published books like mine is pretty okay compared to some of the trash that people put on their covers.
2: The problem with with Amazon is that if there is a problem, you have to deal it first with automated uh, emails that won't tell you what the problem is. You know they'll just say, "Well, there's a problem and you need to fix it, and then you have to try to figure it out yourself for the longest time. you know eventually, if you're lucky, you can get a hold of a real person, but you know like you
3: said, for the first you know month or so, it's all automated. Well, yeah, and with Theoretical Weirdo, the book itself was kind of an experiment because what I wanted to do was write a book in – as close to as possible as the way I speak and think, which is filled with grammatical errors and misspoken words. And so I – went round and round with my editor who was like, you need a comma here, this word is misspelled, you're using the wrong version of this. And I was like, no, 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 I want to leave that all in. We live in an era where people consume so much media that is overly edited and overly produced. I wanted to see if I could publish a book that would get my ideas across and, you know, those ideas would translate regardless on if my commas were all in the right place.
1: Well, then you could have also... Written it in the form we write on Twitter, where you is the letter U.
3: Right, for sure. I thought about that, actually.
1: Okay. Let me ask you, though, since we started on the subject and there are a bunch of others to get into, do you have any reaction to Skinwalker Ranch? What, as I said, Erica Luke says it's a load of bunk in so many words. Chris Rutkowski doesn't take it seriously. What about you?
3: So I have always been under the impression when I give lectures... I call my lectures weird lectures because I don't like to stick just to the topic of ghosts or just to the topic of UFOs or just to the topic topic of cryptids. Like I want to be able to go and flow freely from one idea into the next. And when it comes to portal locations or you know, locations that seem to have more high strangeness going on than any other place, I think it's just really because people aren't looking everywhere. One of the things I talk about at my lecture is – let's just like say human beings can become ghosts whether or not anyone believes that let's say that that's what happens human beings can become ghosts when they die well, there have been 100 billion deaths on this planet since there have been human beings. If a half of those became ghosts, that's 50 billion. Human beings have only lived in certain habitable land masses since there have been human beings. If you take that habitable land mass and divide it by 50 billion ghosts, that equals about 11 ghosts per acre. So if any place is haunted, every place should be haunted. And I really do feel like if you focus anywhere and look, you'll find it. So I don't think Skinwalker is that out of the ordinary.
1: Based on what you're saying, it would mean that if a place gets a reputation of being a portal area, more people will look. And so it's like the publicity flack with UFOs. You see articles about UFOs in the newspaper and now online on CNN and Fox News or whatever your poison is. If you see these reports, you look up and maybe you'll see something. So it draws interest, therefore, being a publicity flap. And that would be the same thing as a publicity portal. If a place gets a reputation of being a portal area, more people will be looking and thus there will be more reports. It doesn't mean the percentage of real versus fanciful is any different, but you're making an interesting point.
3: Yeah, I mean, so you look at like. To take ghosts, it's a pretty simple area because we, there are so many ghost hunters currently. But, you know, you have these locations that are just investigated over and over again. People will say, like, oh, Mansfield Reformatory is the most notoriously haunted prison and uh, or or asylum. And you have this house that is the most – well, it's not that it's the most haunted. It's just the one that people go to the most. The majority of reports that I get about hauntings are just in every – day, ordinary residential neighborhoods. And it's happening in houses all across America in, or in fields or in graveyards. But since there's no television shows going there repeatedly over the course of 10 years, it's not as haunted as, you know, the, the big name places are.
1: Also, remember, a TV show has to resolve the problem in 42 and a half minutes.
3: That was a conversation I was just having with someone yesterday discussing a television show. And they were asking, you know, what's the biggest difficulty in filming anything that's paranormal for television? And I said, the fact that the networks need you to come to a conclusion. And I really feel like good researchers don't deal in definitives.
1: Well, I do notice with the era of streaming... Because the shows you watch may not have commercials or limited commercials, depending on which package you get, like Paramount plus you get a commercial free package and one with limited commercials, the length of each show will vary from yeah. like forty minutes to fifty nine minutes or something because they have that creative freedom
3: yeah, and I think you know you're seeing a, a kind of new wave because of streaming services you're seeing an a, a, almost a return to telling stories that may not have this 30, 44 minute arc. You know, if you even look at new fiction that's on, that's on the streaming services, you know, star Trek used to be episodic and now it's serialized. You know, every episode was, it came to a conclusion at the end with the original series. And now if you look at something like discovery or Picard, the new star Trek series, it's a overlying arc that runs eight episodes throughout the entire thing. And I think you're starting to see that too, with all programming, not just paranormal, but paranormal stuff is starting to take its time telling a story.
1: And it's different types of stories. For example, Bosch, based on a police Detective series of novels from Michael Connolly, they would take one or two novels and spread them out over eight or ten episodes. John E.L. Tenney joins us this week. Tim Swartz is our guest co-host. I'm Gene. You're in The Paracast. the Paracast.plus to learn more
5: about Paracast Plus. Here's a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they'd be? Answer, they're probably among the millions of Americans who have prepared themselves with emergency food storage from my patriot supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with empty store shelves. Is yours? If not, Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for each member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order will ship fast and arrive discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, This is something you need to jump on now, before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. MyPatriotSupply.com.
6: You've seen crazy diets to lose weight?
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Okay, John, let's proceed to one other topic before we get to anything you have on your mind. But this is, there was an article last week in Politico where several members of the U.S. Congress were complaining about the fact that this UFO subcommittee wasn't giving them really good information. These were members of one of the intelligence subcommittees in the Senate, including Senator Rubio of Florida, a Florida Republican, and Senator Gillibrand of New York, a New York Democrat, showing you that defense is bipartisan. And just a couple of days ago, the New York Times had a piece from Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal, both of whom have been on the Powercast, entitled House Panel to Hold Hearings on Unexplained Aerial Sightings. And this is a subcommittee of the House Intelligence Committee. Well, in the coming week after you hear this show, or maybe before you hear this show, they will be talking to these representatives from the government about what is going on. When I think about this, I think of a line from Yogi Berra and John Fogarty, you know, the guy who did Creedence Clearwater Revival in one of his lyrics. (laughs) It's deja vu all over again. Because you think of the Condon hearings, the Condon Committee report and the hearings in the 60s. Will this be the same thing again? What do you think, John.
3: Yeah, you know, it is one of those things. You have such an, you know, that as most people know, there's a new influx uh, always because interest in UFOs seems to be somewhat circular. But we've hit another ramp up in interest in UFOs, flying saucers, UAPs, whatever you want to call them. And I've only done this for 30 years, but there are people who are just coming into it. And I always look back historically and I look at things like Condon or I look at Gerald Ford calling for investigations and saying like, well, this is something that happens every now and then. I don't know if it's that groundbreaking. One of the things that I do find interesting is that the majority of Congress people, representatives that are currently elected – Are the first generation, I mean, they're my age now, so they're in their 50s. They are the first generation that did grow up with a mainstream science fiction on television, whether it be Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica, they were teenagers during In Search Of. And so I understand that there is a huge group of people, and some of them are elected representatives, who have an interest in this stuff. And now that they're in a position of power, you know, they can push to find out if there's any resolve to it. You know, I don't think that that's necessarily as groundbreaking as some people who have not looked back on the history might think it is, seems to be right now.
1: Well, the point of fact is that congressional hearings are held all the time on a variety of subjects and very, very few of them result in any legislation or meaningful news. I kind of think this might get some coverage, but I saw the piece in the New York Times and didn't see it anywhere else. I'm sure I missed it. But what this means to me is it may not get so much attention. I mean, we have so many big problems happening now. We have the war in Ukraine, other events that are filling the airwaves, inflation, all these other problems, price of gas and UFO hearing in Congress.
3: And, and for people who have studied this for a long time or are interested in the history and know the history, UFOs are a very, you know, distractionary device. Like you said, there's a lot of stuff going on right now, whether it's women's rights or LGBTQ rights or child poverty. All of these things are going on. And yet here we're going to spend some time talking about UFOs.
1: Right. And the other thing, of course, being that there are some members of Congress—I shall not mention their names, you know who they are—they treat the hearings as performance art, and they act yeah. in totally wacko fashions, yeah, say absolutely. extreme things, and they provide entertainment. I guess they want to be quoted on certain cable TV news programs that we shall not mention, but that doesn't do anything. We didn't have that in the 60s with Gerald Ford because we didn't have cable TV news We didn't have 24-7 news coverage where they can make an impact or where they can be quoted on a social network. It was just the major networks and
3: little else. For sure. And, you know, one of the things that I've discussed with a lot of researchers over the past five or six years when they talk about, well, UFOs have never been covered this in depth. They've never seen mainstream media coverage the way that we've been seeing it now. And the reality of that is that that, that's really not a true argument. I mean – UFOs and uh, strange topics have hit media headlines in much larger ways. You know, we are kind of convinced right now that because the New York Times runs an article and then 5,000 people retweet it, that it's getting a bigger audience. But you have to remember, like in 1966, when the swamp gas flap happened in Michigan, it hit newspapers, newspapers, which people actually read all across the country, was on television, had Walter Cronkite do a special. Like that was media coverage in a way that it's not even being covered in today's media.
1: Yes, because then getting that kind of coverage, it's the equivalent of 50 million retweets. Absolutely. Yes we don't realize how fragmented things are. And of course, it makes it more difficult. But I get it here that you're possibly suggesting this is not going to amount to much. And I would agree with you. I mean, I've been following this thing a few years longer than you, John. And we see these hopes. Disclosure. The government has a silence group. They know everything. But nothing happens.
3: Isn't it funny, though, that There is this turn that happens, again, because of the cyclical nature of of UFOs. There's always this turn where for an extended period of time, you can't trust the government. And then for a little while, it's we can only rely on the government.
1: This is the contradiction I've often said on the show. I don't know if you've heard it, John, that if the president of the United States brought an alien to the stage A certain number of people would think he's faking it. We live in a country now where the current president, 30% of the people in this country, in the United States, do not believe he's a legitimate president. The previous guy, well, others think that, you know, he had help, and they didn't accept him even if they believed he was president. I always thought that even Barack Obama, who had more of a cross-section of support, if he brought E.T. to stage, they'd still say it was a fake.
3: Well, and that's the thing, too, right? Like, not to be too hyperbolic about it, but to your point, exactly. If the President of the United States announced that there was a hostile entity organism attacking the Earth, how many people would believe it? Because that's what happened with coronavirus.
1: You have the point right there. And the reason, of course, is that you have political factions in this country that live on different planets. One is on Mars and the other is... On some planet orbiting one of the Alpha Centauri stars, <laughs> and therefore they can't communicate because they have no basic reality.
3: That's and why that's, we need. That's why we need someone like Buck Nelson, who can go to the Mars Moon and Venus,
1: <laughs> or George Adamski, for that matter. I mean, think of all, the, or Howard Menger. Look at Howard Menger. But Howard Menger, for a time, and he was a contactee from the 50s and 60s. He said that he thought he was a victim of some kind of government experiment. That didn't play out too well, so eventually he went back to his original claim of talking to people from Saturn or whatever. There you go. We got more to come. Explaining what you think is weird is weirder than you think, says John Tenney. With Gene and Tim, you're in.
8: The (laughs) Paracast.
10: Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com.
2: USA Radio News
11: with Kenneth Burns. Police in Buffalo, New York, say 13 people were shot, 10 of them killed in what authorities called a hate crime and racially motivated violent extremism. 11 of the victims are black, two of them white. The shooting happened Saturday afternoon at a supermarket in a predominantly black neighborhood just a few miles north of downtown Buffalo. Mayor Byron Brown says it's the worst tragedy any community can face.
6: We are hurting and we are seething right now as a community. The depth of pain uh, that families are feeling and that all of us are feeling right now Cannot even be explained.
11: The suspect is an 18-year-old white man from New York State who authorities say was wearing military-style clothing and body armor and drove hours to Buffalo. He is set to face arraignment by Saturday night. This is USA Radio News. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell doesn't make official visits abroad much. In fact, it's rare. But he did so Saturday to Ukraine with Republican colleagues to visit Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. You're
12: welcome. <coughs>
11: McConnell is the latest among American leaders to pay the Ukrainian leader a visit. It comes as the Senate is working on a military and humanitarian emergency aid package worth $40 billion. Two shootings happened after Game 6 in the NBA Eastern Conference semifinals in Milwaukee. One person is in custody following the first shooting. Ten people taken into custody and nine guns were recovered in the second shooting. And all, 20 people were hurt in the shootings. They're expected to survive. It happened near where the game took place. Frank James pleaded not guilty. He's accused of terrorism and other charges related to a shooting at a subway station in New York. James remains held without bail. His next court date is in late July. You're listening to USA Radio News.
8: hi this is james fox you're listening to the
15: Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio
1: before we go on john tenney all right your little statement from your book the theoretical weirdo which was written in the upside down what you think is weird is weirder than you think tell me more (laughs)
3: Yeah, you know, traveling around the country and doing library lectures and listening to people's stories and discussing things with people, it's it's one of those challenges not only to people but to myself when I first became interested in high strangeness and weird phenomena, you know, I had very contained ideas about what a ghost was, what a UFO was, what a cryptid was. As you start to explore your imagination and you start to construct ideas with those around you, you realize that things like abduction phenomena sound a lot like possession, demonic possession. Or you start to find that uh, the contactee movement has a lot in association with religious sightings. Or you find that UFOs and aliens have a lot more in common with the elves and fairy folklore of the 14th century. And so perhaps what you think is already weird, flying saucers, is weirder than you could possibly think.
1: Well, if you listen to Stan Gordon last week about all the cases he referred to, you definitely get that impression that there's just so many things going on, we can't even begin to get a handle it. But, John, tell our listeners, since you've been doing this for a while, what got you interested in seeking weird stuff that's weirder than we think?
3: A lot of people have those stories where they were abducted at three years old or they saw a ghost when they were four. I was not like that. I was a punk rock kid living on the outskirts of Detroit, a lower middle class kid who didn't like to be told what I could think about. And I ran in punk rock circles of people who thought differently about religion and philosophy. I would skip school. I was bad at skipping school because I would go to go to the library when I skipped I would read books about UFOs and gods and angels and witchcraft. And strangely enough, one of the men who was at the library that I befriended was Jack Kevorkian. And he is from my hometown and he and I became friends and he put me on to, you know, reading everything that I could, not just the things that were inside my belief bubble, but the things outside my belief bubble. And in doing that, you know, now there's paranormal conferences, but before they were metaphysical conventions. And I went to a metaphysical convention and met a witch. She was the first one to ever teach me anything about witchcraft. And then when I was 16, I believe I was, I met a historian who specialized in political assassinations of the 1960s and 70s. And so I really started talking about Things like the JFK assassination, RFK, MLK, Malcolm X. And as I deep dived into those, you know, names would come up that in somehow or another were involved with UFO phenomena or Project Blue Book. And it was that slippery rabbit hole that so many find themselves on the edge of. And I just fell down it.
1: Well, let me ask you then, are you still in the rabbit hole or have you emerged Shall we say either suffering from the ailment or having been cured?
3: I really like to believe that I am still on a journey, that my ideas still change, uh, that I have found a nice middle ground of non-stagnation. The universe, if anything, has only ever shown me that it's changing and growing and that if I want to be a good representation of the universe – Uh, That's what I should do for the entirety of my life is change and grow and keep thinking. Do you have a day job? I do not. I am one of those strange few that somehow figured out a long time ago, driving school buses, waiting tables, being a janitor. Uh, and saving up money that, you know, I didn't want to work for people for a long time and got myself into a position where I had enough money to buy a house and I'm a single man with no kids, so I'm very frugal and I can travel around the country and around the world and talk to people for a living.
1: Well, that's a good racket if you can get into it, yes.
3: Yeah, I think the hardest part is... In doing that, and I'm sure many people listening know, you know, there are a lot of people who are willing to say and do anything to make a living. And, you know, that's a lot of the problems that you find in cryptozoology and paranormal phenomena, ghost hunting and and UFOs is, you know, if someone offers you a TV show and – you know they say well you need to say this or you need to get hit that end point that conclusion that definitive statement at the end most people will say yeah i want to be on television so whatever i'll do it and for me one of the things that i've had to do over the past 30 years is and it's just it's just the way i was raised it's just the way i was born is is tell those producers and those networks no
1: I remember a situation here where one of our former co-hosts, Chris O'Brien, who wrote the Mysterious Valley books, he was being interviewed by UFO hunters. And he's talking about the phenomena in the Mysterious Valley, in Utah and surrounding areas. And they moved everything to Sedona, Arizona because it sounded better.
3: Yeah, yeah. I recently was working on a show, the pre-pandemic, about the swamp gas sightings in 1966. And we were to the point of having our final conference calls with the network and everything had been set up. We were ready to sign contracts. And someone at the network said, don't you have a dog man or something like that in Michigan? Can we like work the dog man into the swamp gas stuff? And I said, no. And they said, well, let's figure out how to do that. And I told the network on the conference call. is like, I don't want to do this show then. And, you know, that was stunning to them to have someone be that far along in a television program and then tell them, no, but I'm not going to compromise 30 years of my integrity for 30 minutes on television.
1: Let's cover a number of different areas here that you mentioned in the book and hinted at in our preliminary discussion. Of course, Tim will chime in as appropriate as he has wanted to do and as we expect him to do. Conspiracy theories. Now, obviously, some of these things are totally fake. And I don't want to get into the COVID conspiracies because I think that's a public health matter. I just don't want to touch it. But let's talk about other things. So there are people who believe the landings on the moon were hoaxes. Where does that come from?
3: You know, uh, a recent. it's really strange. As someone who's lectured on conspiracies for a long time uh you know there's still the trepidation of an older generation i didn't find out that my dad was a moon landing conspiracy theorist until about six years ago he had never mentioned it and then sitting on the couch one day he just brings up that he knows all the facts that we didn't go to the moon and you know the idea behind conspiracy theory is for many of us who have done this for a while for a few decades Conspiracy theories were always meant to increase your rational thinking skills, right? They were fun to think about. They were a course in mental gymnastics to strengthen your ability to discern the truth. And as a conspiracy theorist, that's still what I hope that they do. So, landing on the moon, you know, it, there's a whole bunch of alternate facts. You start to weigh them against known facts and laws of physics and science, and and you can start to discern the truth. You can still have fun thinking about it, thinking about how it would be done, But we've gotten to an era now where people read something online, that's all they'll ever read about it. They create an ideology or a belief system based around it, and they're off and running. And I really think that that's a, you know, short path to a cliff.
1: Well, certainly the moon landing is a cliff. But political assassinations, there are legitimate reasons to be skeptical, for example— of the explanation that the JFK assassination was done by a lone gunman. But I've gone hot and cold about this over the years. I started out attending lectures in the late 60s from Mark Lane, former New York State Assemblyman. He wrote a book called Rush to Judgment. You're familiar with that one?
3: Absolutely, for sure. I met Mark a couple of times over, yeah, before he passed, yeah.
1: Now, to be frank, I thought he told a compelling story. That really, he couldn't have done it with that rifle. All sorts of things that I later started to wonder about. And we'll ask more of John about JFK in our next segment with John, Gene, and Tim. You're in The Pericast.
9: Thank you for listening to GCN.
17: You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more. And this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. ParanormalDate.com. And use the code George if you decide to connect with someone you like.
18: In the 1800s, there were 160 spas set up in Europe to dispense fresh liquid whey. The sick would recover their health and the aged would become rejuvenated. There's only one whey protein powder on the market that can generate and surpass the results seen in the whey spas in Europe. But first, let me tell you the story of 90 year old Mary, who was semi bedridden and in hospice care. Mary had been consuming only a pea protein and pasteurized milk drink. Then Mary was put on to Green Meadow Whey mixed with raw milk. She was given two to three whey drinks per day. On the very first day, Mary was up and came the kitchen and made chicken soup she was on her feet for many hours three days later mary had gained two and a half pounds of healthy weight green meadow way is health giving to both young and old green meadow way is guaranteed to make you feel better stronger reduce your inflammation and eliminate virtually all toxins from your body without feeling sick to order go to bestwayprotein.net. that's bestwayprotein.net, or call 888-988-3325 that's 888-988-3325
8: this is Tracy Torme, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: So John E. L. Tenney is joining us, first time on the show, and we know after listening to him for the first three segments, it will not be the last unless he tells us where to go and how to get there, which lots <laughs> of people do. Our guest co-host is Tim Swartz. Okay, you talk to Mark Lane. The JFK assassination... What's your take?
3: So when it comes to the JFK assassination, I think the first thing that people need to remember is that the House Select Committee in 1976 found that Oswald probably was assisted if Oswald shot. And he did, which they found. They found that there was probably another person. That's always interested me in that the House Select Committee finds that there's probably a conspiracy to kill Kennedy and we're not going to research it any further. That's, that's always kind of blown my mind. Yes, speaking earlier about House Committee meetings, right? Like, yes, here we we found evidence that there's probably a conspiracy and we don't need to research it any further. When it comes to the Kennedy assassination for me, my mentor, Craig, who I spoke of earlier – One of the things that we discussed was you have to look at conspiracies through a human lens, find something in the conspiracy or the alleged conspiracy that seems to just make not make human sense as a younger man. And even as an older man now, thinking back on the Kennedy assassination, I start to think about things like the fact that, you know, when Oswald fled the school book depository, a journalist ran up to him and asked, is, is there a phone I can use? And Oswald turns him around and walks him back into the school book depository and shows him the pay phone. And then Oswald goes to a taxi cab and hails the taxi cab. And then an older woman asks, can I have that cab? And he gives her the cab. And then he waits for the bus and the bus gets caught in traffic. This does not seem like a human being in flight after killing the president of the United States. These are the actions of someone who has the day off work and I'm going home. And so just like that moment or the moment of, you know, Oswald left his wallet on the table in the morning before he left for the school book depository and Marina Oswald testified that when Oswald's alarm went off that morning, he hit it and went back to sleep and almost overslept missing his ride into Dallas to get to work. On the day that you're going to kill the president of the United States, you probably don't oversleep. You probably don't hit your alarm clock and, and you know, tell your wife, I need five more minutes and then almost miss your ride to change the course of history.
1: Now, his wife blew hot and cold also. I think at one point she would give interviews and say she
3: did believe he killed JFK. Yes, Marina went back and forth and her testimony is not the greatest, but. None of the testimony is really the greatest. Uh, I think that the investigation was flawed from the get-go. So again, like I have to look at these kind of human moments and say, does that make any sense for a human being? And whether or not Oswald was the lone shooter, for, she, for sure he seems to be involved in some way. But he doesn't seem to be taking the actions of someone who was the lone gunman who shot the president of the United States and changed the course of history.
1: Well, one of the issues Mark Lane would raise, you probably know about this, is the rifle, the Italian rifle, this cheap rifle, could not have done the deed. And he even said, well, the the sight was off and everything. But that doesn't mean, number one, that Oswald couldn't have fixed it, couldn't have compensated for it. And according to people who actually tested this, they found a rifle like that could have done what... It was alleged to have done. Maybe it's a rare situation, but even a bad shot will get off one good one every so often.
3: Yeah, and you know, the shots are one of those kind of human moments too, right? Because the shots themselves, if we take the Warren Commission at their word... You know, the first shot, which is Oswald's best because the bullets in the chamber, all he has to do is follow the limousine down the parade route and, and fire the shot. He's got everything sighted up. This is going to be his best shot. That's the shot that's actually his worst. He misses the limousine completely. It hits a piece of curb. That's the worst shot out of him. Now he's got a rush. And reload the chamber. He's got to throw it up onto his shoulder military style because the bolt action comes back too far. You can't just keep your eye sighted through the scope. His third shot, which is when he's rushing the most, is his best shot, allegedly. It's the one that's the head shot. And so that just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. The first shot should have been the most damaging
2: well, plus, there's also the magic bullet that was found on the stretcher at the, the hospital, this this pristine bullet that supposedly uh, uh, went through both Kennedy and
3: the uh, governor. Absolutely. And that was one of the things that still to this day, you know, a lot of JFK researchers talk about the fact that, you know, if in some way or another you could do a postmortem on Connolly's body or exhume the body, because Connolly's body has bullet fragments in it. And if the bullet fragments that are in Connolly's body weigh more than the bullet fragments that are missing from the magic bullet, then you have to have another bullet.
1: Well, it may have been here that there were two guns involved and maybe somebody from the school book depository, someone from one of the areas on the other side might have done it, but then even that we're not sure about. But again, we can say yes, under normal circumstances, 99 times out of 100, trying to do this shot with that rifle, with someone of modest skills, like Lee Harvey Oswald could not have done it. But the one time out of 100, it was bad luck. He made it. He could have screwed it up, but he made it the one time.
3: For sure. It's one of those things, though, because you have to take into account, like, this is one time out of a thousand that it's gonna he's gonna make that shot, and he made that one in a thousand shot. But the other thing is too, is how many times have people tried to shoot a president from a limousine that's moving through. building like there are a lot of one time one in a millions in that one time one in a million how many times has someone tried to shoot from the sixth floor through trees at a moving target how many times has someone tried to circumnavigate the security of the president how many times has someone like that one in a million becomes one in a million of a, a thousand different scenarios
1: This is something we'll never know the answers to, unfortunately, because key evidence is still being withheld. Why is it being withheld? I mean, if it's so certain that Oswald was a lone gunman, nothing should be held back.
3: Exactly. And, you know, we've run into that portion now where so many decades have passed and you have people saying, oh, well, you know, the government's finally going to release these last documents on the Kennedy assassination as if the government doesn't have the ability to shred anything that would reveal truth or change anything documentation wise to to you know change the actual events as they are told in the documentation.
1: We have to trust that they retained everything that they showed proper care in preserving the evidence and we know that under normal circumstances with a normal Evaluation by police and crime scene investigators, especially considering the technology was nowhere near as advanced back in the 60s, they make mistakes.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Human beings are (laughs) notoriously bad note takers.
1: Well, the other thing is here that I was just also wondering here if they have any remnants of anything Oswald owned and they still have the rifle somewhere. They could do a DNA test.
3: Well, you know, the biggest uh, mystery to this day is Kennedy's brain, right? So Kennedy's brain vanished during the autopsy. And no one to this day still knows where it's at. And, you know, supposedly theorists and researchers have said if we had Kennedy's brain, we could track the bullet movements through the brain. But since no one has the brain, we can't actually do that experimentation. And then there are researchers who, because Kennedy was buried once and then Bobby had the body exhumed and moved and reburied, there are people who believe that Bobby actually took John's brain and and buried it with him so that if Bobby ever became president, he could exhume the body and use the brain to prove that. That there was a conspiracy to kill John. But of course, Bobby is killed, so that never happens.
1: Well, this is something we'll never know the answer to.
3: Exactly. But again, you know, it, it, what I said earlier about conspiracy theories, it's, it's a good way to strengthen your noggin and your noodle. You know, there's a, a lot of information out there and a, a lot of I always look at, you know, in the moment witness testimony. When I see new documentaries about the Kennedy assassination and they're interviewing someone that was in Dealey Plaza and they're interviewing them now, I have to remember that that person's memory isn't getting better.
1: It's kind of like trying to get evidence about the Roswell crash. The first time it really came to the fore F the original event was 30 years later. Already <laughs> you've got memories that were polluted. As a matter of fact, When Kevin Randall wrote his book, Roswell in the 21st Century, he had to take a lot of the evidence he had accepted and say, you know what, it doesn't hold up.
3: Yeah, you know, Roswell was one of those funny things to me because it was really right as I was starting to get interested in strangeness. And I was like, oh, this, you know, all of this information is already 30 years old. And then I realized, oh, no, this has only been (laughs) recovered in the past 30 years. And the memories are, like you said, already tainted and people's narratives have already started to change. And the possibility of maybe writing a book or getting a television show has started to play into the minds of people.
1: We've got more to come with John, Gene, and Tim. You're in. The Paracast.
9: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit gcnlive.com today.
1: Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about after the Paracast. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus.
15: Extendivite really works. Here's just a few testimonials from Amazon. Patricia, excellent herbal formula. I use Extendivite to keep my cardiovascular system fine-tuned. Brian, I'm using Extendivite, and for me, it has made a world of difference. God made all these nutrients in the ground. Enough said. Cami, five stars. I feel a lot of energy since I started taking Extendivite. T.R. Five stars. All I can say is, ExtendoVite works. Buy it, try it, and see for yourself. To get your ExtendoVite today, go to extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Or call us at 1-877-928-8822. Extend your life with ExtendoVite.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: So there you go, with Roswell. Okay, JFK we know, there's still questions that will never be resolved. And maybe we'll ask about Roswell in a moment, John. But let's look at the assassination of Robert Kennedy. Now, I remember this because I was working at a radio station in the late 60s when this happened. I was driving to work. And it was a daytime station where at dawn the station would go on the air. In the evening it would go off because after sundown the station's signal would interfere with other stations. So it could only be a daytime station. So I was the guy, the morning man, who would turn the transmitter on, get on the air and do it. That morning, I'm listening to a radio station from Minneapolis. I lived in Worthington, Minnesota at the time, which is the southern part of Minnesota. And I heard this story, okay, Robert Kennedy's dead. And hearing this, I called the station manager and said, look, we've got a situation here. We need to cover this. And he came in and did the news and covered that event. So we think even to this very day, we've got this Lone guy, Sirhan Sirhan, who did the deed, but I'm never sure why he did it.
3: Yeah, that's one of the that human aspect, right, Is is why. That's never been fully resolved. It's never really been given any good explanation. And then, again, with Robert's assassination, you know, you start to look at the trajectory of bullets and where people were standing and... Where was George Plimpton at at the time and Rosie Greer? And how did this bullet angle hit him in the head if it was down low? You know, if hand was coming up from behind him and who turned Bobby around? Like, there's just so much happening in that brief flash of momentary horror. And again, we've moved so far away from it now. Good luck on anyone ever figuring out exactly what happened.
1: Now, there may have been a political thing here. He was Palestinian. Mm -hmm. And maybe he had concerns with Kennedy's support for Israel, but to kill him?
3: Yeah. And, you know, then you add to that because the universal trickster loves to throw up roadblocks and and high strangeness and nonsense at us. You know, you have Sirhan sitting in court sketching pictures of pyramids and giant eyes floating over them and the eyes that watch him. And, you, you know, you add that into the strangeness and then you start talking about mind control and, and it goes really, really into madness at a certain point.
1: We're talking here about, of course, the Manchurian candidate scenario where you have yes. people who are subjected to mind control, something triggers them and they do to the deed... But then forget about it.
3: Yeah. I believe that Sirhan's defense, you know, moved for a trial claiming the bungling by police, uh, that he was hypnotized, that he was brainwashed, uh, that he was blackmailed. I mean, his defense threw almost everything at the table, hoping something would stick. And, you know, none of it's ever really been addressed. It's just kind of been, we caught him. Uh, There you go. Hey, you were talking uh,
2: earlier in the program about uh, whether or not uh, we could trust the government to provide uh, uh, old uh, uh, documents without uh, uh, burning them. I mean, w- we do know that if it hadn't been for uh, a couple of boxes that missed the ovens, we never would have known about uh, the whole CIA's MK Ultra programs, which uh, just so happened uh, to have been going on around the time of the uh, 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 Bobby. Kennedy assassinations, especially with them looking to try to develop a Manchurian uh, candidate type of uh, uh, assassinations using hypnosis, drugs,
3: all kinds of wild scenarios. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things too. <laughs> go, we go right back to it. Like we know about MKUltra because of house hearings on MKUltra. And so, again, you know, when we talk about the, there's going to be a hearing on UFOs, like they have had hearings on, you know, mind control and MKUltra and the Kennedy assassination. They're, these things happen. And, you know, Robert too, again, you have, um, uh, Again, whether it's just human nature to have things go haywire in a giant situation, you have incidents where – You know, there are extra photos and documents uh, of Robert's assassination that are discovered, and they're going to be taken – I think this happened in the 1970s – that are going to be taken for review. And so they're given to a CIA agent to take him to California. And, of course, that CIA agent is mugged, uh, and the briefcase is stolen off of his wrist, and those papers disappear forever.
2: Curiouser and curiouser. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, you know, you also look at, say, the uh, um, Martin Luther King assassination um, with uh, uh, James Earl Ray and how he managed to, you know, even though this was a guy who apparently had no income, managed to get out of the country and travel to a number of different countries uh, with, uh, you know, uh, where did that money
3: come from <laughs> that he was able to do that before he was caught? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you have MLK's family calling for a reopening of investigation into whether it was just the uh, lone, lone shooter, you know. You also have to think here there were a lot of
1: individuals who probably would have wanted to take out Martin Luther King for various reasons, especially those who opposed the civil rights movement. So he was not the only possible candidate. And it wouldn't mean, and I'm not going to say this is true, that others might have put him up to it and then, as you suggest, might have financed his attempts to escape.
3: Yes, absolutely. And what I was going to say earlier, because I was just reminded, flashing back to JFK, you know, for as terrible as this sounds, there is this narrative of built of the troubled lone gunman that became, you know, a running narrative in these assassinations. And the reality of the situation, again, talking human aspects and, and as terrible a person as Lee Harvey Oswald might have been, uh, whenever you hear things like, oh, you know, he had no friends, he was a loner, like Lee Harvey Oswald was married with children who had friends. He played bridge, uh, he had friends at work. He was not so much the loner that we believe him to be as he was portrayed in the Warren Commission report. Um, I I think that many, many people throughout the country to this day – uh, if the narrative is spun correctly, could be considered I could be considered a, a loner. All you have to do is break into my house and you know I live by myself i don 't have a wife and kids, and my bookshelves are filled with conspiracy books and uFO books and and bigfoot books. You could craft a a very ominous narrative about me if you wanted to
1: well then, on the other hand, the other thing I worry about with Oswald is he defects to another country a country yes. with whom we don 't really get along the Soviet Union. And then they allow him to come back and they're not watching him every single second of the day to see if he's going to pull something.
3: Yeah, that's one of the big issues, too, right? That you have someone, a former Marine who probably worked in some types of intelligence gathering when he was in Japan, uh, leaves the Marines, defects to the Soviet Union, marries the daughter of a Russian general and then says, I want to come back. And the United States government says, OK, you can come back and we'll get you a job in Texas.
1: Well, the other theory here is that he was taken back and given another job in intelligence and somewhere things went awry. Of course, there's also the conspiracy theory that the Dulles brothers, who apparently hated JFK and Robert Kennedy, may have engineered this. And therefore, you take this patsy who defected to Russia and you give him a chance, but he has to do something for you. Another conspiracy
3: theory. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have JFK uh, saying at a reelection speech, you know, I will uh, splinter into a thousand pieces and scatter the CIA to the wind. Uh, That probably didn't sit well with a lot of people in the CIA.
11: And
1: especially the CIA being capable of doing things like this. I think there was a book called They All Killed Kennedy, but we'll get back to that in a moment. We've got John E. L. Tenney and Gene Steinberg, whoever the heck he is, and Tim Swartz, our guest co-host. You're in
5: the Paracast.
1: Hey, listeners! I want you to have the entire Paracast experience, so I'd like to tell you about after the Paracast. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus
19: are you ready to retire? Inflation is picking up, The markets are volatile, and the dream of a comfortable retirement is harder to attain than ever before. The stock market goes up and down is beyond your control, but you're at a point in your life where you can't afford to make big financial mistakes. I'm Al Abaroa, founder of Knight Strategic Wealth. Our investment strategy allows you to go up with the stock market, lock in your gains, and when the stock market goes down, your investment won't lose a dime. This works for your investments, savings at a brokerage firm, or even money at a bank.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Now, John, if you listen to the show, Tim Swartz is the man of 27 and a half voices. (laughs) And one day he's going to do the Paracast with all 27 and a half in a chorus, kind of like Bohemian Rhapsody and the song that 10CC did, I'm Not In Love, where they <laughs> overdub 500
3: voices. I'm interested in hearing the half a voice that he can do.
1: We can't do that in commercial radio because of the FCC. <laughs> so it's, it's not permitted for us to do that. But anyway, before we get back to they all killed Kennedy, or maybe we should go back to that after talking about the Robert Kennedy assassination, Martin Luther King, they all killed Kennedy being the conspiracy being the CIA. And there were rumors the CIA was involved in drug running, by the way. yes, And I can tell you a quick story, but I'm going to have to keep it very general about that. The quick story is I have a relative no longer alive who was caught in some kind of alleged CIA drug deal where he got arrested and served a brief time in prison. I don't know what happened, really. He told a long, involved story. that might have made a book, if you could believe it or not. But there were theories that some CIA people were involved in drug running, just like former military would become mercenaries and do jobs for anyone. Then you have organized crime, and then you have various people who would have liked to do JFK in because of who'd take over. You add all this together, there were other potential assassins other than Oswald.
3: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, the combinatorial system of people working together to get Kennedy out of office has always fascinated me because, you know, there are so many circles that run together. I really do think though the thing that isn't discussed enough and I I used to talk about it at my lectures is that the reality of the situation is for as horrible as this sounds is that Kennedy probably wouldn't have lived through his second presidency he was experiencing massive pain he was addicted to some pain medications at the time you know he was wearing a truss uh, he had trouble walking his injuries that he that had occurred when he was in the military were really hindering his his progress as a human being and johnson would have become president anyway and i think that people don't discuss that fact that's
2: really an aspect of kennedy's life that uh, uh, hasn't become apparent until really recently
3: Yeah, I think that a lot of people don't understand, you know, the the reason that he looks so stiff is because, you know, he's wearing a truss because of his back. And the fact that at the time, no one knew, but, you know, there's this miracle drug that doesn't, you know, takes away your pain called methamphetamine. And, you know, you can get shots of that and it makes the pain go away. And so you've essentially got a president that's in constant pain and probably addicted to methamphetamine at the time that he's assassinated. There's a fascinating book that
2: uh, Bill Burns wrote about the history of methamphetamine. I can't remember the title of it now. Is Is it
3: about Dr. Feelgood?
2: Yes, yes. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. And uh, I highly recommend anybody out there to read that book because, you know, it's the, the way that it's written. I mean, it, it, it's almost that this drug has a almost like a sentient quality to it, the way that it has affected people throughout history. I mean, you know, prime movers and shakers. I mean, you know, as far back as, you know, Nazi Germany up into, you know, Kennedy and then past that.
6: Yeah,
3: absolutely. Again, you know, I think that all of these things, whether they are real conspiracies or not, I can't stress this enough. Conspiracy theories are really, at least in my area and my way of thinking and on my journey, they are really meant for us to have these conversations, to explore these ideas, not so much to believe them, but to lead us down new roads and help us construct new ideas together that we might have not been able to do by ourselves.
1: And we could also look at the fact that maybe the facts are precisely as portrayed by the authorities. So, for example, with Lee Harvey Oswald, you point out that in a couple of ways he behaved as if he was innocent of any crime, didn't want to escape. But he might have done those things to establish an alibi. We don't Absolutely. know anything about it because he was killed a couple of days later by Jack Ruby, who then wanted to tell us about it. But for some reason, they never gave him the opportunity. This is while he's dying of cancer.
3: Well, you forget that his cancer was very aggressive in that he was diagnosed with a cold about two weeks earlier. And then he died of cancer about two weeks later. So you really should watch. Don't let those colds get away from you.
1: (laughs) What other conspiracies of note should we talk about? We talked about the moon landing. We talked about the assassinations in the 60s that for some people still remain unexplained. What other notable conspiracies would you like to
3: talk about? You know, it's funny because one of the things that I do at my lectures a lot of times is I talk about conspiracies that hit the radar and then for whatever reason vanish and then maybe come back later on. You know, uh, I'm sure your listeners know that throughout the 90s, the giant conspiracy was chemtrails and planes were, you know, dropping chemicals on us and poisoning us and or doping us from the skies. And that led to tactical markers, TACMARS on the back of road signs for when the UN forces invade. And I think that people forget that there are all, you know, I remember going to a metaphysical convention in the 80s and hearing someone talk about the flat earth and watching flat earthers get into, you know, literal fistfights with hollow earthers. And then all of a sudden, here I was in 2010, and the flat earth theory comes back around. And I was like, oh, I can't believe this is back again.
1: When you go into hollow earth, and I'm kind of hesitant to go into flat earth, the hollow earth... Those theories inspired fiction. I mean, the theories go back to what? The 19th century and earlier, and even Edgar Rice Burroughs in crafting his novels on Pellucidar, a civilization under the earth. He used that literature to create his scenes.
3: Yeah, that's one of the things with when I discuss the hollow earth and and people will have those theories and say like, oh, well, you know, and, and the hollow earth, too, it gets tied to the conspiracy of, you know, reptilians and reptoids. And I have to point out, just as you did, Gene, that, you know, whether it's Burroughs or Robert E. Howard talking about underground cities filled with green reptilian skilled elite families, like this is a basis that, you know, started in the 19th century and really hit peak in, in with the pulps in the 1910s and 20s. And, you know, obviously in the 40s and 50s, you get Palmer and Shaver jump on it and it just goes wild.
1: And as many people know, I knew Shaver and I knew Palmer slightly. So that was interesting. I used to have a file cabinet with hundreds of letters from Richard Shaver and material from his alleged rock books. Unfortunately, the former business partner where I left the file cabinet that contained this stuff, he closed the business and discarded all this great material. Kind of sad that we don't have it anymore. But Shaver, to me, was a very difficult situation because I knew the guy and he seemed perfectly sincere. Aside from his stuff about the caves and the rock books, he was as reasonable as anyone. I'm going to ask you about what you think of Shaver, John, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Paracast.
9: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
0: USA Radio News
1: with Kenneth Burns.
11: The accused shooter in a mass shooting at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, is in custody. Authorities say the 18-year-old white man drove hours through the predominantly black neighborhood north of downtown Buffalo, killing 10 people and wounding three in what authorities called a hate crime and racially motivated violent extremism. Among the dead, the store's security guard, whom Police Commissioner Joe Gormalia identified as a retired officer, he also called him a hero who interacted with the suspect.
15: Engaged the suspect, fired multiple shots, struck the suspect. But because he had heavily armed, uh, armored plating
11: on, uh, that bullet had no round. Eleven of the 13 shooting victims are black. The man allegedly live-streamed his attack on the store. Local, state, and national authorities are involved in the investigation. They say that evidence indicating racial animosity has been acquired. This is USA Radio News. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and a delegation of GOP senators are the latest American officials to pay a visit to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. The visit comes as Ukrainian officials are negotiating with Russia to evacuate 60 medics and seriously wounded people from the besieged steel plant in Mariupol, the last sliver of resistance in the southern port city. According to a senior U.S. defense official, Ukrainian forces have gained ground in Kharkiv, pushing Russian troops north of the border. South Africa is experiencing a new surge of COVID cases driven by 2 subvariants of Omicron. They look like the original Omicron strain that was first identified late last year. The country has seen an increase in cases and a somewhat higher number of hospitalizations, but no increases in severe cases and death. A health expert says they don't want to call it a wave because it's early in the increase period. They add the actual number of new cases is probably much higher because the symptoms are mild and many who get sick are not getting tested.
20: Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. This
2: is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO
6: Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast.
1: Richard Sharp Shaver died in the 70s, not long after I interviewed him for a magazine. What's your take on Shaver and Palmer?
3: Well, I think that they were good storytellers, which I think is what any high strangeness phenomenon needs. And, you know, over the years, I've come to an idea that high strangeness and the phenomena, whatever you want to call it has many different ways of revealing itself to people and i think that imaginative and speculative fiction plays a big part in that i think that there when people allow their imaginations to delve into realms of weirdness that you can come up with archetypes and things that seem to be answers to you know great mysteries and whether or not they are actual answers or just points to begin constructing new ideas i think palmer and shaver did an immense amount of work not only bringing to the forefront strange ideas but getting people talking about the weirdness that people internally think about but might not vocalize
1: well the one thing of course is that shaver picked up on legends of ancient civilizations i remember Lemuria. Which was basically a Shaver Palmer thing, where Shaver wrote the basic story and Palmer rewrote it in more of a acceptable pulp fiction language, befitting the thirties and forties.
3: I have the amazing stories sitting on the wall across from me right now. That issue.
1: Yes, indeed. And what got people crazy was that Palmer could do things. I would say, and I like the guy. I, I met him once and talked to him on the phone a couple of times. He could take a story and pretend it was something factual and really get his loyal readers to follow him to the ends of the Earth on the Hollow Earth theory, on Shaver, even UFOs coming from possibly the Hollow Earth.
3: Yeah, I mean, you look at something like what Palmer did kind of with Oathspa, right? The, The Bible, the ancient Bible that he reprinted many times. But Palmer had this also... What I think is slightly brilliant narrative, where he would create characters to argue with himself, and that got people fired up. You know, he would write these uh, letters to himself in a different voice, and then react to the outrage. and I think that's kind of brilliant. I think that's a really great way of challenging yourself about your ideas.
1: I knew a former sci-fi writer named Otto Bender back in the 60s and 70s. We remember him because he wrote the continuity for the original Shazam character in the comic books when it was known as Captain Marvel as opposed to the female Captain Marvel we have now. He created for DC Comics Supergirl and the Legion of Superheroes. And he wrote about UFOs, Otto. And he said that Palmer would create these stories just to get reader reaction to keep the magazines going.
3: Yeah, and and like I said, I think... What happens when you do something like that for as terrible as it might end up being because you're making up stories is that people respond honestly with stories that aren't made up they start talking about their own personal experiences and again you find that what you thought was weird was weirder than you think you know you make up a story about some insane extraterrestrial visitation, and then all of a sudden, you know, two or 300 people write in with similar accounts. Again, I think that's a way that the universe kind of pushes its narrative using our imagination and creativity to get us to a place where we're like, oh, maybe this stuff is happening. How can I make something up? And then it's actually happening.
1: It reminds me of a very strange situation. And this goes back to, I guess, the late 60s, and I was working for a guy named Jim Mosley, James W. Mosley. Saucer News, later Saucer Smear. He became, shall we say, the court jester of the UFO field. But he had done serious work, like an expose of contactee Georgia Damsky, but also played crazy hoaxes with the help of his friend Gray Barker. So Jim decided one day, I'm going to create a hoax about UFO sighting. I just sat back and listened to this. I was enjoying and being entertained by all this, he calls this small-town police department in New Jersey, talks about a UFO, and then we read about the Wanakew Reservoir sightings. It was as if Jim predicted the sightings by calling in a fake report.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's one of those. I met Jim a couple of times before he passed, but, you know, I think that he would even say, you know, that's a, you know, in more of kind of Mosley speak, with, through a little bit of alcohol, perhaps, that that is a key to uh, some of the phenomena.
2: You look at some of these um, Internet memes that started out. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking of the uh, um, um, the tall man. Slenderman. Slenderman stories that, you know, I mean, they they start out as fictional stories, and then, you know, like these uh, uh, earlier Richard Shaver stories, then you start seen people writing in talking about their own experiences you know it's 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 almost like you know you said john that the universe is listening and be like okay let's make this happen uh, black eyed kids as well you know i think that's uh, yeah, that's something that you know started out as
3: fictional stories
2: that you know now people are seeing them all over the place
3: well, and then you get in, that brings you into the realm of, you know, thought forms and aggregors and, you know, what some people call tulpas, which, you know, is can the collective imagination of humanity, can we manifest these things into reality? Can so many people thinking about something at one time actually push it into reality as, uh, When I do paranormal lectures and talk about haunted places, one of the things that I mention is that if you have an abandoned house in a neighborhood and enough little kids stare at it for long enough and are scared of it for long enough, after a couple decades, that house becomes allegedly haunted. And if you investigate it, it seems to be haunted. And yet, even if nothing ever happened there, it seems to be the collective will of the children and the people in the neighborhood have haunted the house
1: the word is collective. The second word is
3: unconscious. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Where enough people can will something into existence, but then we can talk about theoretical concepts of the power of the mind, that if you put enough minds together, they can create a reality that is independent of them.
3: Absolutely. Which is, I think, what You kind of, what we're all kind of seeing right now with the ability to exchange information so quickly on the internet and build things like memes and and ideas. And, you know, all of a sudden you do have a million eyes looking at something at one time. And what effect does that have on our perceptual reality and our individualized reality? And does it shape and craft a new narrative to how we're experiencing the world and all of the weird phenomena in it? So how do you separate real from fanciful? (laughs) Uh, At this point in my journey, I really believe that what is happening to people is individualized and perceptible to them, probably not studyable in a scientific way. But for me to be able to tell someone what is happening in their reality again, definitively, I think that that would lead me down the wrong path. I think that People have experiences, whether or not they know how to explain those experiences or they understand what those experiences might be. I can only offer suggestions, but I can't tell them that their reality is is not real.
1: What do you think? Do you think this reality is real or just people are getting involved in a story and they can't let go?
3: I think that I am biologically incapable of understanding All of the facets of the universe and that my little limited three and a half pound lump of goo that sits in the top of my head and tells me it's my brain and I'm me uh, doesn't do a very good job of just biologically limited to the spectrum of sounds and and light and color that I can see. So I think there is probably much, much more going on. that we are calling elves, fairies, Bigfoot, Loch Ness monsters, flying saucers, angels, God, time travel—I uh, think all of that and more is probably happening.
1: Here's what's happening, and you'll find out in a moment with John and Jean and Tim. You're in <laughs> the
2: Paracast. <laughs>
1: use the coupon code
0: more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s dot com
22: first we decide where we want to go then we need to know the best way to get there hi my name's adam Barada. i'm the owner of advantage gold we're the highest rated precious metals firm in the country we teach people how to own physical gold and silver That's 800-900-8000. Get the best information, the best process, the best service, the best value. Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000.
4: I am a non-attorney spokesperson representing a team of lawyers who've helped people that have been injured or wronged. Have you been diagnosed with cancer? Are you one of the millions who have taken Zantac or other generic versions of this popular drug to help treat stomach issues? Then pay close attention to this message. The FDA said it detected low levels of a probable cancer-causing chemical known as NDMA in Zantac and other generic forms of this popular drug. They've banned sales and even removed it from the market. If you've been diagnosed with cancer and you've taken Zantac or a generic equivalent, call the legal helpline now. You could receive a free cash award and have your medical expenses covered. And there's no upfront cost to you. They only get paid if you win. So please call now. 800-998-7173. 800-998-7173. 800-998-7173. That's 800-998-7173.
18: This is Jacques vallee You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: In that previous segment, the stinger from Tim Swartz, he has aged 400 years. (laughs) It's my own reality. It reminds me of an episode of Star Trek Next Generation. Oh my goodness, I was about
3: to say the same thing.
1: the, The episode where Captain Picard is out for 25 minutes. During that time, he lives an entire lifetime in like this other reality. It was one of the most acclaimed episodes of that series. And I recently got to see it again. And today, watching this thing, what, 30 years after it was broadcast, still a great episode.
3: It's a beautiful story. It's a great story. It's so funny because I was about to say, (laughs) uh, not that episode of Next Generation, but every time they show uh, Data's father played by Brett Spiner. He always does an old man voice. Oh, data, you know what's... And it's always cracked me up that when people do an old person's voice, they do it as kind of crusty and shaky. And yet, I very often talk to 70, 80, and 90-year-olds who sound like I do right now.
1: I raise my hand. People know I'm in my (laughs) 70s, okay? I was thinking here of another episode, and this was, I think, in the early part of the sixth season. Where James Doohan, Scotty, comes back where he's stuck in the containment field of a transporter for 75 years. But go back to this. In the early 70s, they had all these Star Trek conventions. And he appears at one of them. And this is a guy at that point probably in his 50s. And I said to him, hey, would you imitate, because he was a voice character actor, Scotty as he would be in his 70s? So he did the shaky voice. Mm -hmm. And then I don't think he realized that in his (laughs) 70s, he'd still be playing Scotty. And no, he didn't do the shaky voice.
3: (laughs) Relics, that episode of TNG is called Relics, and it's one of the best episodes of TNG. It really is. That's the one.
1: That's the one. And it's really, really terrific how they bring it in. They kept trying to find ways to bring in old Star Trek characters. So you had one episode, the first one featuring Dr. McCoy. Then you had Spock for two episodes, ending a season and beginning another one where he's trying to find peace with the Romulans who are related to the Vulcans, if you can go with that. Leonard Nimoy, of course. And then James Doohan. But when it came to William Shatner, they wouldn't touch that.
3: Now, see, this brings up, since we're talking about Star Trek and we've been talking about conspiracy theories, if you have enough Cursory information and you put it together in a way that sounds palatable. And I do this at my lectures sometimes. So you can make a conspiracy theory, right? And what I do at my lectures using Star Trek is I tell people that the Catholic Church, when they were doing the... Uh, witch trials. The last time that the Catholic Church burned witches was in South America in the year 1701, and it was called in South America El Interpricio, right, which is the Enterprise 1701. The captain of the Enterprise is Kirk, which is a European name for a church. The nurse is Chapel, The science officer, who doesn't believe in God, uh, gives a Hebrew hand signal, has pointed eyebrows, and looks like the devil. And the doctor on the ship, who believes in God and the human spirit, is the real McCoy. Now, that is all fake. I mean, it's all just information. Some of it is true and some of it is not. But if I present it the way that I just presented it, it sounds like there's some type of conspiracy going on with Star Trek. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it makes about as much sense as some of the conspiracy theories that, you know, you you read now on Facebook or, or see on YouTube. Yeah, right. Birds aren't real or. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that one I never quite understood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, though, though I guess that it just came out that it was uh, Intended as satire, and then it just took
3: off. Yes, for sure. But in the beginning, people didn't know. I mean, it's one of those things. Is this this going to be a real thing? Are we all going to jump on this bandwagon? Is is this making any sense? And, you know, you have enough information, you can go back and look at the DARPA website for the defense military applications projects in the 1990s, and they were creating drones that were the size of birds and mosquitoes. So you can start to wrap that stuff up into something that sounds palatable. Over the years, I wrote quite
2: a bit. About conspiracies, always found them fascinating. But uh, really, any more, I have found myself distancing myself from them. And I know that things like this are cyclical, but they've become so hateful and political and sometimes dangerous.
3: I lecture and have written many articles about when I through my mentors, when I was first exposed to conspiracy theories, one of the things that I was really pressed into my, my character and my being and my research was, if someone is still in mourning, if tears are still falling, then hold off on your speculation for a while. Remember that there are human beings involved in this thing that you are going to stir the pot. And we are now through the pale on that as soon as anything happens you know whether it's national or just local or worldwide that has some kind of ramification and effect everybody is very willing to jump on board and try and get the clicks due to tragedy and that's just not something that i personally can do I like that. I'm I'm I'm, I'm happy to
2: <laughs> to see that you retain that philosophy when when so many people just I mean they they use it for their own personal agendas whatever that may be.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's really disheartening too because you know there is a lot of wasted human potential energy that could go toward good in moments and times of crisis that is being wasted on i have to be the first one to get the click on this so that you know my instagram can blow up we were talking about earlier about how our
2: our beliefs or or, or whatever can actually, you know, possibly have a uh, 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 have the ability to, you know, construct the universe or reality around us. You have this excellent story uh, about something that happened to you when you were in Decatur, Illinois. That uh,
3: I'd love for you to uh, tell our audience. Yeah, I still. It's one of those moments where I still end up doubting my own personal sanity. I went to a paranormal convention in decatur illinois uh it was called the dead of winter it was taking place in the winter and while i was there i got into a car accident i wasn't hurt but my my truck was pretty much demolished uh so i was stuck there and the day after the conference ended i was one person in a 200 room hotel everybody else had checked out and there was a snowstorm going on it was very shining-esque i'm being trapped in this hotel by myself me and the concierge and one maid and, um, I asked the desk clerk where I could eat and he told me directions that I could walk to a diner. And so I went out and trudged through this snowstorm and eventually found a diner and had dinner, walked back to the hotel, spent the next day in the hotel, uh, the following day trudged back out through this snowstorm, went to the diner again, ate, Uh, the next day my car was fixed. So I got in my car. I was going to eat at the diner one last time since I'd already been there twice. And I drove around for about 45 minutes and couldn't find it realizing that I'd only ever walked there. So I went back to the hotel and said, how do I get there driving? And they told me and I drove in that direction and it was the opposite direction from how I had originally walked. And it led me to a diner that I had never seen before. So I tried to follow my footpath in my car, and it led me just to a national forest. And there has never been a diner where I ate. Uh, and I have no idea who made those pancakes and scrambled eggs and who I gave my money to because there was no diner there. And I ate it at twice. Hmm. That's, a, what kind that's of that? a Twilight Zone kind of story. It is. Yeah. It's one of the most bizarre things that ever happened to me. I have gone back. I have used Google Earth. I've had people who live in Decatur all try to track down this diner. And, I mean, it was never there historically. There's nothing ever been in that area that would presuppose a diner had ever been there. And yet somehow I ate at this place twice.
1: By the way, he's going to be back with After the Powercast for more discussion because we haven't even scratched the surface of his book or anything else. You go to a diner, you have a couple of meals, and it's no longer there. Oh, we have Tim and John and Jean. you're in.
6: The Paracast.
9: You are listening to GCN. Visit gcnlive.com today.
0: That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com.
7: Life can be full of risks.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: Does anyone remember an episode of one of the TV shows that depicted that kind of scene?
3: Um, I don't. Not one uh, jumping off the top of my head.
1: What's weird enough, what did you eat at the diner that made it disappear?
3: I'm a... Late night person, and so both times I had kind of breakfast dinner. I you know I don't remember exactly what I ate, but I did. I do remember both times having scrambled eggs and pancakes, some some type of probably toast. Now I'm a vegan, but then I was vegetarian, but I was still eating eggs. So toast, hash brown, scrambled eggs, pancakes, coffee, basic diner food. Basic diner food. There were two people in the diner that I remember: a man and a woman, plus the woman working the counter, plus the cook. Uh, they were all four of them were in there both times that I went in there. They were the only customers besides were the yourself. Only, only customers. Yep. That's odd. Usually, when you go to a you know a diner at different times, there's different people. When I th- reflect back on it. Decatur at the time, kind of small-town diner. And uh, I've been to a lot of small-town diners across the country at doing lectures. And, you know, you get your regulars, and sometimes that's what how the diner exists. You know, you, did, you just have three or four regulars that are in every single day, much like a home bar somewhere, right? And so it didn't seem off to me at all. This was just a small-town diner, and these were the regulars.
1: You know, I live in the Phoenix area, as people know. I don't think there are too many places here that remind me of the traditional diner, like in the Midwest, like in New Jersey. used to live in Edison, New Jersey, and within five minutes of us, there were a couple of diners. There was also the Somerset, New Jersey Diner, and these were fabulous places to go, Brooklyn, New York. All these great diners out here, nothing
3: like it. Yeah, it's still like that around here, uh, in the outskirts of Detroit, you know, just down the street from me are two or three, and um we have a probably within a couple mile radius, you know, even half a dozen twenty four hour diners.
1: Let's go back to this scene. You walk to this diner from your hotel room, correct?
3: Yep. Out the back door of the hotel, behind the hotel is a, (laughs) I bring this up only because it's a little bit strange, but behind the hotel is a cemetery. So I had to walk through a cemetery to get to the road. And then I crossed the road and had to walk through a golf course and then eventually get to a river, which I followed to another road. And then that road led me to the diner.
1: Why did you go there? Just walking around?
3: It was the closest place to eat where I could get, you know, hot food. There was a gas station in front of the hotel where I could get chips and stuff like that. But, you know, kind of being trapped and alone in Decatur, Illinois, I was like, well, I've got nothing to do all day long, so I might as well go and get something hot to eat. And I don't have a car, so I might as well just walk there before Ubers or anything like that happened.
1: Did you know this diner existed prior to that, or did you just walk into it?
3: No, I actually asked the desk clerk if there was a place around that I could eat, and he gave me directions. The problem is, is I didn't follow his directions. Uh, When he gave me directions, when I got my car a few days later, he gave me the same directions, and I saw the diner that he was talking about originally, but that is not the diner that I ate at.
1: So this was an accident?
3: Yes, absolutely. Okay. I feel as though the the only way that I can really wrap my brain around it is that somehow or another, you know, we have all this talk about time slips and dimensional jumps. Like at some point in that walk, I just wandered into another version of Decatur, Illinois.
1: Was the food really good? It was diner food. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
3: Typical point greasy taken. spoon. <laughs>
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but a lot of times when people have these types of experiences, they only happen once and, you know, they're unable
3: to repeat them. But, you you know, you managed it twice. And I think that that happened just because I was unaware that it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's probably a key to it, too, is it happens a lot, not just with vanishing diners, but it happens with, you know, ghosts and UFOs. I think that those experiences happen a lot of the time when you're just not aware that something weird is happening.
1: So this, of course, is one of the situations where you didn't
3: ask for it. It just presented itself to you. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, I was just going about my normal everyday life in a slightly weird situation being in that hotel by myself. But, uh, yeah, not asking for it, and then it just happens. And, again, I think that that, is very typical when you talk to experiencers of strange phenomena that I wasn't expecting it to happen. It just happened. And a lot of times when people go out to find Bigfoot or to find a UFO or to find a ghost, I feel like they're so intent, they've become myopic and they miss the experience.
1: Have you had other
3: experiences of any nature that are weird? Oh, absolutely. For sure. I did a I always say that I have 13 good weird stories over the past 30 years. I used to do a podcast called Realm of the Weird where which is still available where podcasts are available where I tell, you know, my 13 weirdest stories, but you know, I met a a guy who said he was a tra- time traveler one time and uh, that kind of freaked me out because after I met him and he said that he would meet me in my past which I thought was a very weird thing to say. Uh, later that night, uh, I gained a memory of him, which freaked me out because it seemed like he had gone in my past and met me in my past. You know, in the upstairs in my office, I have a haunted mannequin head that I retrieved from underneath a local mall in my area that seemed to be attacking women uh, in a ghostly manner. So, yeah, I mean, lots of experiences. I think that, Again, the way I've talked about UFOs being cyclical, I think that people with their weird experiences have rises and falls. I think that, like right now, I'm in a kind of rest period for weirdness. I haven't had anything really weird happen in the past few years, so I think I'm on the downslope, but it'll cycle around again.
5: You, you really
2: you really need to give us the details on the time traveler uh, experience
3: because th- th- that's a fascinating story. So uh, a gentleman contacted me, uh, said he was a time traveler. If I'm ever presented with a weird situation that seems safe, I say yes. I tell people all the time if something is safe and it's weird, go and have the experience. Uh, he had he was at a institution. And so I was prepared for that, and I went to the institution where this gentleman was, and he had given me per- permission to talk to his doctors and nurses, and they told me that he had checked himself in a few days earlier, that he seemed to be fine, but he was talking about being a time traveler. And so when I talked to him, he explained that in the future, uh, technology had been developed to send his consciousness back and forth through time very Vonnegut-esque Billy Pilgrim, uh, that he could only travel as far back as when he was born and as far forward as, you know, he lived when un- until he died. And we had a few conversations over the course of a couple days, and when I started to doubt him one evening, he said that he would give me – he would visit me in the past and give me a memory. And as I was driving home from that experience, uh, I recovered a memory in my mind of when I was in one of my bands in the uh, late 80s of someone reaching through a crowd and grabbing my shoulder and saying, John, remember me. And I was driving and I had to pull over because it was such a vivid memory. And I was really freaked out for a couple days. And I went back to the institute where that gentleman had checked himself in a few days later and he had checked himself out and I couldn't track him down anywhere I got on the internet and started researching him and couldn't find him anywhere, couldn't find any records for him. Uh, And then I started to do this podcast that I mentioned, Realm of the Weird, and I was like, well, this is a weird story. I I should tell it. And I recorded the entire podcast, told the entire story, and the night before I posted it so people could listen to it, I got an email from that gentleman uh, saying, I told you you would tell this story for a long time. This is years later. This is almost six years later. (laughs) Uh, I immediately email him back. The email bounces back to me. The email address doesn't exist. And uh, I I didn't put the podcast on for quite a while. (laughs) We exist, and you'll see why in a moment.
1: John, Jean,
3: and Tim, you're in. The Paracast.
1: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code.
10: Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again.
23: Forced. You, the Maraschino Cherry.
7: Okay, 25,000 cheering next drive.
15: Now, you want to try that on television? Well. You see, radio is a very special medium because it stretches the imagination advertising your business with gcn is simple effective and more affordable than you might think. visit advertise.gcnlive.com
17: for more info take your business to the next level a lot can happen in six seconds a rodeo ride a dramatic basketball win and the world record holder can solve a rubik's cube six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads are responsibility. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov.
1: of course, if we're going to be practical, we can suggest, well, people's email addresses change. Could it be though this guy played a game with you and maybe you made yourself believe that you had this memory?
3: Sure. Uh, One of the things that I did when I really became interested in paranormal phenomena or supernatural, high strangeness, whatever you want to call it, one of the first things that I did when I was in college was, you know, I I joined every magician's guild that there was possible, Society for American Magicians, the International Brotherhood of Magicians. I started taking classes in hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming. I started doing uh, experiments at Wayne State University, the college here in Detroit, doing float tank and isolation experiments and sleep deprivation experiments. I wanted to know how my brain could be fooled. So yeah, that's always a possibility that In some way or another, he tricked my mind, but it was just such a strange scenario in that even back then when it happened, the thing that always disturbed me a little bit. And this is in the episode of the podcast. If you go back, I mean, I think I posted that in 2011 is when I originally told the story in my notes. One of the things that he told me was that he couldn't see past 2021, that he believed that he died in 2021. And so when the pandemic hit, it really kind of freaked me out. Got a lot of
1: interesting tales there. Okay. We've covered two so far, the diner (laughs) and the time traveler
3: that leaves 11 more. Oh, yes. There are 11 more, you know, really, really good ones that I think are, are are slightly good. And then, you know, I've been doing ghost hunts and taking people out looking for Bigfoot for years. So there's a lot of minor ones, too. One of the ones that I really like to remember and, and the story that really hits me the most is My friend Gundela Marion Kuklo, she's passed now, but she was known as the Green Witch of Detroit, the first kind of witch that I ever met. And she wrote books about ghosts and hauntings in Michigan. And she told a story about this haunted cemetery in Detroit where people would see that kind of prototypical woman in white standing near a tall gravestone. After Marion passed, I wanted to kind of check her case files, and so I eventually found this cemetery, and I found this giant stone, and I asked around, and people had seen a woman in white standing near this tall stone. Of course, perfectly in line with high strangeness and the paranormal, while I'm in the cemetery, this black cat cat comes out of the bushes and i start talking to it you know where are the ghosts buddy and this little black cat runs over to this tall stone and lays down in the overgrown grass and i'm taking pictures of him as a researcher i'm like well why are people seeing this woman in white stand near this and it's the gravestone is for this woman who his name is eleanor who died when she was in her 20s and on the gravestone it says in loving memory of ella and so I went to the library, researched her death, found out that she had you know died from something like consumption, the flu uh when she was in her twenties, and throughout the newspaper article, how newspaper articles were written so very personally in in the early parts of the nineteen hundreds they kept referring to her as Nora and so a few days later, when I was looking at photographs from the cemetery of that little black cat, I noticed. When he was sitting in front of the gravestone and had pushed the grass down, there was something scraped into the gravestone. So I went back to the cemetery and pulled the grass up and scraped into the bottom of the gravestone. It said, I am Nora, scratched into the, into the stone. And I thought, oh, she's buried under the wrong name. For many years on her birthday, I took flowers there for Nora, and people stopped seeing the woman in white okay that's a good solution for
1: ghost hunters you fix the problem it's like the tv show (laughs) evil where they resolve or attempt to resolve problems with well all sorts of strange kinds of paranormal phenomena they do exorcisms ever watched that show
3: i've only seen one episode but you know it was good the one i watched it started
1: on the cbs network and then moved to paramount plus so if you don't Join Paramount+. Plus. You don't get to see all the other episodes. But also, of course, Paramount+, Plus, by the way, is owned by the people who bring you CBS and has all the Star Trek stuff.
3: I have all the Star Trek stuff on DVD and Blu-ray, aside from the new stuff.
1: (laughs) I find this is a cheaper way to go, especially if you take the ads. If you take the ads, it's less than $6 a month. So then it's really worth it.
3: I have too many streaming services as it is now. I can't believe I even get to talk to anyone like uh, you and Tim for free.
1: (laughs) Well, you haven't seen the bill we're going to send. Oh, that's what it is. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. Tim issues those bills. We sent it to somebody named Bill to look it up. Okay. So we've got Nora, not Nick, Nora. I'm thinking in terms of an old series. of The thin, the Thin Man. Yes. Nick and Nora. And we have... The Time Traveler, and we have The Diner That Doesn't Exist. That's three out of 13. Ten more. By the way, to make things more interesting, we're doing this show on May 11th. Of course, Friday
3: is the 13th. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to give you all of my weirdest stories. Some people have to come to my lectures to hear some of them. I got to do something.
1: Okay, no more weird stories till they come to your lecture. (laughs) (laughs)
3: I'll tell you one more. This is a quick one, but it's one I tell at my lectures a lot because it really does push that idea of what you think is weird is weirder than you think. Uh, A woman came to me because she had gone to her grandmother's house her grandmother had passed away and so she everything had been boxed up and the house was being sold and she went to her grandmother's house to kind of check up on the final stuff that was going on with the house and she walked in the front door and then went through this arched kind of doorway into the sitting room and she saw two little girls and a woman in ghostly form and she screamed and they vanished So she immediately called her mother and said, you know, I was at grandma's house and I saw these ghosts. And her mother told her, you know, you're crazy. Grandma's house isn't haunted. So she called her aunt and she said, you know, I saw ghosts at grandma's house. And her aunt said, you're crazy. Grandma's house isn't haunted. And a few days went by. And after rolling the story around for a while, her aunt called her back and said, you know, I don't think grandma's house is haunted. But I will tell you, when your mom and I were little girls, we were with grandma in the living room, and a woman walked through the arch doorway and screamed at us and then disappeared. (laughs) You know, it's in that moment and realizing that my client in the present was the ghost to those girls in the past, and those girls who were the ghosts in the present were the living people in the past. That's really where ghosts start to get wonky and flip-floppy.
2: That's a great story. I love that one. (laughs) And I, you know, and I've heard. Similar scenarios. There's there's the famous one, and I'm sure you've heard this one before. It's almost an urban legend at this point, uh, where the woman ha- is dreaming of her dream house for for years and years, and then one day, her her and her husband are visiting the town, and they happen to run across it, and she recognizes it from her dream, and then when they go up to it, the woman of the house screams at her and says she's been the one who's been haunting the house all these years
1: let's break and learn more about the haunting with Jean, tim and john you're in <laughs>
5: the paragast
9: thank you for listening to gcn Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
8: USA Radio News with
1: Kenneth Burns.
11: Police in Buffalo, New York, say 13 people were shot, 10 of them killed in what authorities called a hate crime and racially motivated violent extremism. 11 of the victims are black, two of them white. The shooting happened Saturday afternoon at a supermarket in a predominantly black neighborhood just a few miles north of downtown Buffalo. Mayor Byron Brown says it's the worst tragedy any community can face.
6: We are hurting and we are seething right now as a community. The depth of pain uh, that families are feeling and that all of us are feeling right now cannot even be explained.
11: The suspect is an 18-year-old white man from New York State who authorities say was wearing military-style clothing and body armor and drove hours to Buffalo. He is set to face arraignment by Saturday night. This is USA Radio News. Russian President Vladimir Putin is warning his counterpart in Finland that relations could be, quote, negatively affected if the country follows through with plans to apply for NATO membership. According to the Kremlin's press service, Putin told the Finnish president that Finland's abandonment of, quote, its traditional policy of military neutrality would be an error since there are no threats to Finland's security. In a statement, the Finnish head of state told Putin how starkly Finland's security environment had changed after Russia invaded Ukraine in February. He also points out Russia's demands on Finland to refrain from seeking membership to the Western Military Alliance. Phil Mickelson will not be defending his PGA Championship this year. He's opting to extend his hiatus after comments he made in Golf Digest in February about a Saudi-funded rival league he supports and the PGA Tour that he accused of an obnoxious greed. Mickelson is the first major champion not to defend his title since 2015. You are listening to USA Radio News.
13: This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast.
1: So you're telling us, Tim, about this house where the woman says the person who visited her had been haunting her?
2: Yes, yes. She, uh, the protagonist of this story, and it's been told and retold. So I mean, it's 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 one of these. that's hard to track down. She said that she, for years, had been dreaming about this beautiful house. That she she dreamed that she was, you know, inside of it. She knew all the rooms and knew the outside and then uh, while they were on vacation one time they just happened to run across this house that looked exactly like her dream house so they decided to go up and, and and knock on the door and when the woman of the house answered it she actually screamed and faded and then you know later after her husband had revived her told this couple that they had a ghost that looked exactly like this woman who had been, you know,
3: wandering the rooms for years. So, you know, a living ghost almost, I guess. <laughs> Well, to that point, Tim, so I can give you one that's a little easier to track down because it's one of my weird stories, which mm-hmm. was a woman in her 80s, this probably is now 12 or 13 years ago, a woman in her 80s came to me because she her house was filled with what she called ghost children. So I did what I did and investigated her house and talked to her family. There were no children in the family and no children in the neighborhood and Uh, After a few weeks of trying to find out what these ghost children were and never experiencing them for myself, I kind of had to wrap up the investigation because, you know, I can't spend forever. And perhaps she's just lonely and needs someone to talk to. And I'm also willing to do that. But the day that I went there to kind of wrap up her case, it was Michigan winter and it was snowing pretty hard. So I'm standing in her family room, looking out the back window into her backyard and she was making me tea and I noticed something on the windows. So I kind of leaned forward and breathed the heavy breath across the windows and on the inside of the windows were all these little kid handprints hmm. and I was like oh wow this is something I can like start investigating now and she came back in with the tea and I showed her the handprints and she laughed and she was happy and I said oh no I can investigate and she said no 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 you we're going to leave and you know you said you were done investigating and I just needed someone to know that I wasn't crazy and I really couldn't without her permission continue investigating so I kind of had to wrap the case at that point well Seven or eight years goes by, and I'm looking through my old case files. So I decide to go back to the house and see if she's still there. Again, she was in her 80s, and so I expected her to probably have passed on. And when I got there, I could tell there were new homeowners. I did the hardest thing that a ghost hunter has to do, which is cold call a house. Mm. I knocked on the front door. woman came to the door. I explained who I was that I had known the former owner and if they had ever had any haunting in their house. And they said, no. And I gave them my card and said, if anything weird ever happens, you know, I'm the, I'm the local guy. You've got a ghost guy if you need one. And as I was walking back to my car, the owner of the house, the current owner called me back and she said, you know, I don't think this house is haunted, but my children, she had little kids, she go, my children have been drawing this old woman. (laughs) <laughs> and she showed me the drawings that her children had done. Her children were drawing my client, and as I'm looking at the pictures, her kids are in the family room, and they have themselves pressed up against the glass looking outside, and the mother tells me, you know, oh, they're so excited we moved here from Arizona. They've really never seen snow before, and so it seemed very much like the children in the present were the ghosts in my client's past. And she's the ghost of the present. Yeah, so they're exchanging ghost visits. Yeah, as if you know, perhaps time doesn't matter at a certain point. Well, it's
1: better than missing time, I guess. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Paul Eno, who we've had on the uh, uh, show before. I mean, he he has uh, a favorite theory, and, and he stipulates it's just a theory that uh, you know he he wonders if ghosts and, and hauntings aren't residues from parallel realities you know that are you know, running alongside our ours you know close enough to us you know that there's not much of a difference but at you know uh for various reasons, there can be leakage, and that these, you know, the, the ghosts we're seeing are, you know, actually living people from these these other realities, and probably vice versa.
3: Yeah, I talk about it in my lectures sometimes, you know, if, if ghost hunters really kept copious notes, and really, really collected data in a in a significant way, and you went to these giant hotspot locations, which are endlessly investigated, and you looked historically back at the original ghost sightings, you see what people talk about in ghost stories, right? You see weird lights floating around in the darkness and shadowy figures whispering to themselves. Those are the original ghost stories that kick off these giant locations. And I can't help but wonder if... What people in the past aren't experiencing are the ghost hunters in the present day who are wandering around in the dark with little flashing lights and whispering to themselves, can you hear me? Can you talk (laughs) to me? And if people in the past aren't experiencing the ghost hunters in the future.
1: So therefore, the ghost hunters are becoming time travelers, sort of.
3: Yeah, the ghost hunters are the ghosts that they're looking for. Okay.
1: Well, do you have any particular personal opinion about ghosts and ghost hunting having done some of this stuff
3: i think that again it's you know obviously very personal and individualized and subjective i think that if there are ghosts there are as many different types of ghosts as there are people and so i think to pigeonhole everything as a lost wandering spirit who needs reconciliation is as bad as saying everyone needs to eat oatmeal <laughs> You mean they don't? (laughs) I mean, I think they should, but (laughs) forcing it on them is a whole other idea. Uh,
2: We have a question from uh, um, one of our listeners in the forum, uh, Richard Hopkins, and uh, Richard wants to know – and 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 I'm not quite sure what he means by this. Which show has been uh, interviewed for that uh, portrayed a situation most realis- realistically? And I suppose maybe he's referring to uh, uh, some of the uh, reality shows that you've been involved with. Uh, I'm trying to think.
3: Uh, um, uh, uh. Yeah, um, you know, it's hard with paranormal shows because they are edited and they're crafted to to hit a narrative. I've been on uh, a few episodes of the show Kindred Spirits, which I think does a good job of showing a lot of different ideas. Uh, Kindred Spirits, I think, was the first show that actually mentioned thought forms and aggregores as being a potential for the experience, instead of just ghosts, and so I think introduction of new ideas is is important too. For as flawed as the show that my show Ghost Stalkers from 2014, for as flawed as that show was, you know, we were the first show to discuss the Psychical Research Society and the fact that people were hunting ghosts in the 1800s. So I think shows can do a good job of showing and presenting new ideas. Um, they, they all have their failings but I think right now currently I think Kindred Spirits does a pretty good job
2: Yes, so many, so many of those shows. You know, it's just they're just cut from the same cloth. You know, I mean, you you give the guys the night vision cameras. You know, some of them, you know, strapped to the body, send them into uh, uh, dark locations when you know, reality. That's just for show. You don't need to hunt for ghosts and pitch black locations, and and then have them, you know, scream and shout anytime uh, uh, the walls crack.
3: Yeah, I think that's one of the kind of great things about uh, kindred spirits is, you know, there's no night vision. Uh, Sometimes they investigate during the day. Uh, If they need low light, then they just go low light. But, you know, and not everything is a demonic entity, right? Like that Hmm. demons, demons sell a lot of tickets uh, in this world. And, you know, I am not one that's big on demonic entities over the past 30 years i've had very few encounters with demonic entities i've always told people and this is a, a personal experience but also a joke and also a learning experience Didn't you know what you know through. what let's yeah. tell that
1: in the next segment okay more right. to come with john and gene and tim you're in Yeah, paracast. <laughs> Once again, the paracast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out the paracast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. You trust your mother, right? She's always taken
23: care of you and always tried to give you good advice when you ask for it. And sometimes even when you don't. Well, even though she might not mention it, mom very likely has neck, back, and shoulder pains. And she needs relief. So trust this good advice. Give back to mom this Mother's Day with quality products from Sunny Bay. Like our disposable heat patches. They're back in stock now and target neck and shoulder pain in adults of all ages. Or our extra-long, neck heating pads they provide soothing relief to painful sore necks and backs mom can heat them in her microwave and they come in a variety of colors and patterns read our trusted authentic and real reviews on amazon when you search sunny bay heating wraps and shop now in time for mother's day there's no shipping delays from sunny bay find us on amazon walmart etsy and sunny-bay.com remember just search for sunny bay neck wraps order now because stock is high and shipping is fast from sunny bay
17: Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of A.D. After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal
1: radio. Yes, folks, John's going to give us one more experience. By the way, he'll (laughs) be back with After the Paracast for more uncensored discussion because we've only scratched the surface here. Okay, John, you are going to reveal another
3: episode. You know, a story that I tell about an experience with demons is really kind of formative, a learning experience that I tell to audiences, which is a husband and wife called me to their house because they said they had a demon in their house. And when I got to their house, Over the course of time that I was there, a screen door was kicked out, glasses were broken, I was scratched, I was punched, coffee cups were thrown against the wall, and eventually I left their house. Not because there was a demon in their house, but because their two kids were nightmares. (laughs) Their two kids were out of control in that house throwing things around and kicking and biting people the reason i use that as a learning experience is because those children for as outrageous as they were acting weren't demons They weren't evil. They were doing whatever it was that was in their limited power to get someone to talk to them and notice them and contact them. And so when you have ghost hunting shows go into a location and someone is scratched or a door is slammed, the conclusion is there must be something in here that's mad. And the reality is, is we have difficulty interpreting the motive and means of a human sitting across from us, much less a non-corporeal entity. And to say that because you were scratched or a door was slammed or something was broken, that there is true evil in that location, is uh, very backwards thinking.
2: I've always found that, especially when it comes to poltergeist experiences, that If you have investigators come in and just immediately go to the evil entity, demonic, what have you, start hanging up crosses, things like that, then the phenomena, whatever it is, is more than happy to put on a show to follow along those lines. Next thing you know, the crosses are all upside down. Bibles are catching on fire. It's just like, okay, whatever we are, we're more than happy to be whatever you want us to be.
3: Well, sure. I mean, again, you know, if you want to apply human logic to things that seem inhuman or paranormal, whatever you want to call it. I was a bouncer at a bar for a while, and if two people were about to get into a fight – the way that I would diffuse it, was I would go over to them and I would immediately match their energy, right? Like my voice got louder, I got more puffed up so that I could meet them at the level they were at and then bring them back down to a place where they weren't hopefully going to fist fight each other. To what you were saying, Tim, sometimes locations react like that. There are a lot of people because they've watched a lot of television who go into a location and they start kicking walls and setting up axes and telling ghosts to chop me in half and who want to fist fight go. You know, I don't think that's a great way to start a conversation with anyone, much less a ghost. The whole provoking (laughs) The ghost is
2: a scenario that, you know, I always tell people, don't do that. You know, because they see these shows and they're like, oh, well, that's the way to do it. You know, they'll go into a house and start shouting at the ghost, you know, come at me or follow me home or, or, you know, stuff like that.
3: And it's like, no, don't do that. (laughs) Well, yeah, for sure. And you know what? If human beings can in some way leave energy behind when they die, right? If we're thinking that's a possibility that somehow – you can leave an imprint because of your energy in a location, then you might be able to do that while you're alive. So if a ghost hunting group goes into a place on Sunday night and they're kicking the walls and they're trying to start a fight, right? And they have their aggression up and they got all of their blood pumping and they're screaming and provoking. If a group goes in there on Monday night and they're like, something in this room wants to fight me, how do they know they're just not picking up the energy from the group on Sunday? That's a good point.
2: Very interesting. You know, you got me thinking uh, earlier in the show, you're talking about how, you know, there's been billions of people who have lived on this earth and died and probably the most you know haunted location is the earth itself. It'd be interesting if somebody could uh, manage to do a show where you just go to random locations, not someplace that's already reported to be haunted, just, you know, just someplace and see if they can come up with ghostly activity. i'm sorry john i do that all the time i frustrate my daughter when we're watching a a a new show where i'll just say oh well you know what's gonna happen next and she'll be shut up (laughs) and i'll probably you know nine out of ten times
3: i'll call it but (laughs) your psychic power is revealing itself
1: (laughs) my weird psychic power all right here we go years ago After my son and I had written a couple of sci-fi novels, we wrote a screenplay. Before writing that screenplay, we both read some instruction books on formatting screenplays. And ever since then, every so often I'm watching a TV show and I know the next piece of dialogue, even though I hadn't seen it before, mostly because they're using cliches. So if I was writing the screenplay, it's probably what I'd use. But I could like to say, it's my psychic power. Okay, Honestly, you see sorry. the reaction, folks?
3: <laughs> 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 That's one of those things. When you're writing fiction, like I was saying earlier, you know, when you're using that imaginative creative process, you stumble into areas of high strangeness. And I think that that is a little puzzle piece that is missed very often. You know, we talk about the jokesters and the tricksters and the fraudsters in the paranormal community, the UFO community, but sometimes they stumble into something that seems to be really going on or seems to have some type of uh, archetypal meaning.
1: Well, I could say this in writing in the sci-fi novel, the first one, especially. I dreamed of situations that we incorporated into the novel. I'm not saying I did like Paul McCartney does, where he comes up with a billion dollar song by dreaming about yesterday or let it be. I mean, this was a much more modest scale. I assume a lot of people do that, where they dream of this other reality and this other situation and then remember to write it down.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Or what we call tropes, whether they be in science fiction or any kind of literature. It's almost as if the idea itself is some type of archetypal being that takes a break every now and then and then reaches in and says, you know what, no one's been thinking about me for a while. I need to have four books and two movies based around the same weird experience. And then everybody thinks that the writers are just stealing from each other when there might be something stranger happening. It might be this non-corporeal ethereal being reaching out and saying, "No, I'm going to make a bunch of people imagine me again."
1: <laughs> it's like when you see movies, new movies come out and then there'll be two different movies with a similar plot line.
3: Yeah, you know, uh, friends of mine, I think it was in the 90s, and there were some giant meteor movies coming out. Armageddon was one of them. And then there was another giant movie coming out about a meteor hitting. And I said, So you guys are just copying ideas. And he said, No, we absolutely are not. Like the time it takes to get a movie okayed and into production doesn't allow us to steal ideas. There's no way that they could have known we were working on a meteor film. And us both be this far in production at the same time we're talking here about the fact that a
1: movie can take two years five years 10 years 20 years from original idea to the final production any time at which the final movie may have no resemblance whatever to the original concept or just barely (laughs) any john E. L. Tenney, tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff
3: So I've tried to make it as easy as possible. Twitter, Instagram, all of that is just John E.L. Tenney, one word. Or I tell people they can go on Google and they can type my last name, Tenney, T-E-N-N-E-Y, and the word weirdo, and then follow it down any road it takes you.
1: Run road, and he'll be joining us again on After the PowerCast. For those who are subscribers to the PowerCast Plus, you can find us on Twitter. Look for the PowerCast. Look for 2.0 areas on Facebook for the Powercast and check out our store, our online store at thepowercast.shop where you can buy branded merchandise, the t-shirts and everything else. Good quality merchandise, thepowercast.shop. Also we offer the Powercast Plus. Check thepowercast.plus for more. We offer our own subscription service which includes this show free of the network ads and the exclusive after the Powercast podcast. Where John E. L. Tenney will be back, he'll be right back, and of course we'll offer more uncensored discussion there. Low subscription rates, and if you use the coupon code UFO twenty, that's UFO two zero, we give you a twenty percent discount on five year and permanent or lifetime subscriptions. The Paracast the Paracast John E. L. Tenney, thank you for joining us on the Paracast.
3: Thanks for having me.